0: Lord, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You for how sufficient the Bible is. And Lord, I confess that I don't have the ability in myself to teach the Bible not not in a way that would transform us, not in a way that would stir up faith, but I praise You that the Bible is a very unique book. It is the living, active Word of God and is powerful in and of and by itself through Your Holy Spirit. And so today, our confidence is in the power and sufficiency of Your Word. So Lord, teach us the Bible today. Stir our hearts to worship and praise You, to respond with faith and obedience. And Lord, I pray for the personnel team and all of the ministries of this church as we constantly seek to follow the leadership of Your Spirit, I pray for whoever it is that You've chosen to serve as part of our pastoral team um, as we continue to grow and expand the ministry and mission of this church, not only in this community, but around the world. Lord, we love You and we look forward to seeing what You'll continue to do in the days that lie ahead. And Father, we praise Your name for Your work that You will do in this day, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel. We've been in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to continue that study down the road, but I decided to take a break this morning. I felt led to just step into something a little bit different different on Mother's Day, so we're going to look at First Samuel, and we're going to look at a picture of a godly mother. I know that when we talk about motherhood, many of us uh, immediately have a picture of a mother that comes to mind. For some of us, it's the picture of our own mother, and it's a good picture. It's a picture of godliness and, and love and care and diligence in our home. I think of my mom, and I was so blessed when God allowed me to be born into the home and the family that I have come from. And so when I think of mom, I naturally think of my own mother. And and now that my life has expanded to include Emily as my wife, I think of her and the godliness I see in her life as she leads in our home and cares for our kids. But I also know this, that when we talk about a picture of a mom, many of you do get a picture of your mind and it's not a good picture. For some of you, uh, your own mother was a source of pain and conflict in your home. Maybe you would be one of those individuals in this fellowship who would say, my mom wasn't actually even a part of my life. And so when I try to picture a mom, I'm picturing someone I've never really known or actually ever met, or maybe the memory brings with it pain. And so as we talk about a picture of a godly mother, we're going to do what we do every week. We're going to God's word. And what we're going to see is that God gives us a powerful picture of godly motherhood that's exemplified in the life of this woman named Hannah, who's at the start of this book, 1 Samuel. And rather than read the entire story to you, let me give you a summary. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through these next few moments and pull out four characteristics of a godly mother that we see exemplified in Hannah's life. And moms, you don't even know it, but I already gave you your first Mother's Day present. My week started out with seven characteristics of a godly mother, and the Lord allowed me to whittle it down to four. You're welcome, moms. Uh, Today's for you. So here's the story of this woman named Hannah. There's a guy, his name is Elkanah, and he actually has two wives. And without going down this road, we find that in the Old Testament, there are many individuals who have multiple wives. And the Bible never speaks of that as though it's a good thing. As a matter of fact, most of the time it ends up blowing up in their faces because God's design for a family is one man and one wife for one lifetime. But God is gracious, and he blesses people even in their brokenness and sin. And We find that in the lives of many of the patriarchs, the fathers of the faith in the Old Testament. Well, Elkan is one of those individuals who receives a blessing even though he doesn't necessarily deserve a blessing. He has two wives. His one wife has many children and in that culture, bearing children was a sign that you were being blessed by God, which then had the opposite effect. If you were someone who couldn't bear children, you lived with this stigma in the culture that God must not be blessing you, and if God's not blessing you, there's obviously a reason. And so Elkanah's other wife, who wasn't able to have children, lived with this shame and ridicule and stigma of not being able to have children. And so she takes that burden to God and she begins to pray fervently and passionately that God would bless her with a child. Then she goes into the temple of God and she pours her heart heart out before God. We find that here in chapter 1 is a big part of the story. As she's pouring her heart out, the priest whose name is Eli comes in and he sees her praying right there in the temple. Well, well she's, she's praying and her mouth is moving but no sound is coming out. So Eli does what any good pastor would do. He assumes she's drunk. And so he goes over to her and confronts her. And she says, listen, I'm not drunk. I am just broken hearted, pouring my soul out before God. Well, in that moment, the spirit of God stirs Eli and Eli says, this time next year, you'll have a son. Well, Eli didn't know it, but Hannah had made a promise to God. And what she promised is God, if you will give me a son, Removing this shame that's over my life, I will gladly give him back to you. And that's exactly what Hannah does. At the end of chapter one, you find Samuel is born. She raises Samuel. She gets him to an age where uh, he would be able to step out on his own under the care of somebody else. And she brings him back to the temple, gives him back to, to God. And Eli is an individual who is a primary person raising Samuel from this point on. And so what we see is this, this picture of this woman who's desperate, this woman who's broken, this woman who's passionate. And through it all, we see these beautiful points of godliness in her life. And so what I'm going to do this morning is take this story of Hannah and pull out four characteristics that we see about a godly mother. And I want to just preface all of these characteristics by saying, I know when you come to a service like this on Mother's Day and someone like me talks about moms, you may not be a mom, you may not be a woman, and you may not think this has to do with you. So there are a couple of things for the, the men in this room. First of all, all of these characteristics are, are true and are important for every person in this room, whether they're a mother or not, whether they're a woman or not, older or young, these are true for every single one of us. So listen through the lens of your own life, even if you aren't a mother. The other thing that I want to encourage the men in this room to do is, as you consider these characteristics... Serving, serving i <laughs> would you celebrate them when you see them in the life of your wife or your mom? Would you celebrate them by sharing that you see God's work in her life and you glorify God because of who she is and how God has made her to be? So men, this is not an excuse for you to take a nap, even though I know some of you will do it anyhow, but this is a word for you. Let's look at these four characteristics of a godly mother as we see this picture of one in 1 Samuel. Here's the first characteristic a godly mother knows that God is in control look at verse 5 chapter 1 verse 5 but to Hannah he being her husband Elkanah gave a double portion because he loved her now look at this next phrase though the Lord had closed her womb Verse 6, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the, look at this phrase, the Lord had closed her womb. Now jump down to verse 11. And she being Hannah, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, and remember me and not forget your servant. Now look at this phrase. But will give to your servant a son. Stop right there. This story, it's clearly teaching us the truth that God is in control. This passage is clearly saying God is the one who did not allow Hannah to have a child to that point in her life. Hannah understood that, which is why she went to God and said, God, will you do this for me? Because she recognized God is in control. Now listen, this passage isn't the only place in the Bible that teaches this truth. Let me give you a couple of passages of Scripture. Psalm 115, verse 3. Psalm 115, verse 3 says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Job 42, 2 says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. The Bible in this passage and throughout the entire Bible teaches this truth. God is in control. Now I want to just caveat this for a second. When you begin to really understand what the Bible teaches about God being in control, it doesn't turn you into a lazy fatalist who expects something to happen without you doing anything. Without going over the line here in this room, Hannah and her husband still had to take the necessary steps to have a child. You find that in verse 19. It's amazing how quickly your heads went there when I said that. Let's move on. What it says is God is in control and in His control, He's chosen To create ways and things that are dynamics for us, like how babies are brought into this world. In his control, he's determined things like how families work best. So saying God is in control isn't some excuse we should use to not do anything and expect something to happen. However, the reason I bring this up is not only do we see it in this passage, but the truth of God being in control is a huge safeguard for our hearts It means you don't have to live with fear and paranoia. It means you don't have to dread your future. It means you don't have to carry the burden of believing everything depends on you because God is in control and He's good and strong and that's huge for every part of our life, especially our parenting. The reason I bring that up is because you and I live in a performance-driven culture that tells us, as parents, everything in our life depends on us being able to make it happen. So if you as a parent want your children to grow up healthy and happy and holy, then you had better live up to some perfect standard of expectation. You'd better be able to perform or else your kids are doomed. And you need to hear this truth. Mom, if you're tempted to believe that lie, you need to hear this truth. God's plan for your child includes you, but it doesn't depend on you. God's plan for your child includes you, but it doesn't depend on you. Not the way it depends on God. God was sovereign in the birth of your child, and God is sovereign in their lives as well. And I say that to a room, and I know that some of you are the parents of prodigals. I know that some of you are the parents of a child who's going through something in their school or something in their body or something in their own home as a grown adult that is outside your control. I know that some of you are a believing parent, but your spouse or your ex Spouse is an unbelieving person. And that person, while your children are in their presence, is saying things that are diametrically opposed to the truth of God's word. And whatever that thing might be in your life as a parent right now that feels so deeply outside of your control as it concerns your family, you need to let this truth just wash over your soul. It may be out of your control, but it isn't out of God's. Hallelujah. God is in control. Jesus said it best, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Moms, godly mothers know God is in control. And they rest in Him. They depend on Him. They look to Him. And that brings up the second point in this passage. Not only does a godly mother understand that God is in control, a godly mother understands that her husband can't complete her. Now this is a point in the story that I'd never really seen before. But look at verse 8. So here's Hannah and she is just desperate because she has this shame associated with not being able to have children. She has a husband who is so kind and so smart to take on a second wife who could have children and 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 so she lives with this shame and her husband comes to her in the midst of her pain. In verse 8 he says this. And Elkanah her husband said to her, "Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat?" And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Stop right there. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I believe Elkanah was trying to comfort his wife. I really do. I think what he was trying to do in this moment was tell her how much he loved her. His phrase there actually is really close to a phrase that's used in the book of Ruth when Naomi's friends remind her how much Ruth loved her and they say, she's more to you than seven sons. She loves you so much. Maybe Elkanah was thinking about that, so I do think that he was reminding Hannah how much he loved her, but i got to tell you. The first few times I read that in this story, I thought to myself, doesn't that sound exactly like something a man would say? (sighs) Baby, aren't I enough for you? Why are you so sad? You got me, right? I mean, that sounds like a stereotypical guy. But the more that I I actually thought about that, here's what actually stood out to me, and and I want to bring that to you. What jumped out to me, it's not necessarily what Hannah's husband said, but it's what Hannah did next. She went to God. She, She went to God. The story of Hannah doesn't stop when Hannah's husband comes to her and says, but I love you, and I'm here for you. And I'll do everything I possibly can do. That's because godly women know that they need more than what their husband or any other man can provide. And the reason why I bring that up is because there is a terrible lie that is being propagated all throughout our culture. And I hate the fact that so many newlyweds buy into this lie. And the lie is this. A good spouse will complete you. I mean, Jerry Mag- says it so isn't it true and the answer is no guys marriage doesn't complete us if anything marriage complicates us when one messed up sinner commits to spend the rest of their life under the roof and with another messed up sinner what on earth would make you think that completes you What form of relational math would cause you to think that all your sin plus all his sin would equal zero sin? Come on now. Marriage doesn't complete us, it doesn't remove our brokenness. If anything, in marriage, we experience more brokenness, not less. Now, I want to say that knowing that my wife is right over here, okay? And I want to say this out of all honesty marriage is awesome. It's incredible. I highly recommend it. (laughs) Four stars, two thumbs up. Everything is good at home. I know the last few weeks have been some stories about some fights we've had, but we're doing well, people, even in spite of me. But I want you to know, here's what I've realized. I don't complete my wife. She's wonderful and godly and she blesses my life and I believe that I bless hers. I love her, I cherish her, I honor her, I enjoy her, but I do not complete her and godly mothers know that. They know their spouse won't complete them. And they realize that's why God gave us Jesus He gave us Jesus because only Jesus can complete us. Only Jesus can fulfill us. Only Jesus gives us meaning and purpose and understanding. Jesus alone is a fountain of life and a fountain of joy. And if you guys go into marriage or find yourself in marriage trying to receive all of the life and all of the fulfillment that you think you need from that other person, you will be disappointed and delusional. delusional. (laughs) Amen. delusion but you may be delusional quickly and even more here's what happens is you'll set your spouse up and you may even set your children up for failure and you'll have the audacity to blame them and be bitter toward them because they're not Jesus guys the story of Hannah doesn't stop when her husband says I love you And I'm here for you. She seems to receive Him. She doesn't rebuke Him. She loves Him, it seems, in return. But she knows she needs more than Him. Moms, it is so good for you to model what it looks like to be a person who knows they are fulfilled in Jesus and understands that and can live with your spouse knowing they are not your source of life even though you love them and even though you care. A godly mother is a person who is able to see that their spouse doesn't complete them. Only Jesus can. Here's the third thing we see in this passage. A godly mother takes her burdens to the Lord in prayer. Now look at verse 10. So here she is, uh, her husband is calm, I love you, I know you're grieved because you can't have a baby, I know that this other woman is making your life miserable and filling you with shame, I'm here for you, but she bypasses in a sense, she, she, she embraces her husband, but she doesn't depend on him for life, she goes to the Lord in prayer, look at verse 10, it says she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And verse 12, and she continued praying before the Lord. And if you go down to chapter two, verse one, you see, and she prays to the Lord. Here's the question. Where do you go when parenting gets hard? Where do you go when life gets hard? I want you to hear me on this. It is so important for you to have friends. It is so wise to have godly counselors in your life. Please do not hear what I'm not saying. It's good to have godly people who hear and know your pain. But whatever happened to prayer as the greatest parenting resource of all? I mean, when life gets hard, where do you turn? Parents, I just want to ask you this, moms specifically, what would it look like in your life if this week when you were confronted with the overwhelming things that undoubtedly will come your way, what if in those moments you turned to talk to God before you text a friend or post on Facebook? I was reminded this week as I was studying of of my mom. My mom had five boys and zero help. All of our grandparents lived many hours away. And I remember in my childhood, we were babysat a grand total of two different occasions. And I don't know if that's because mom didn't ask or people would say no, but we only had two moments of time. As a matter of fact, mom was the neighborhood babysitter. Anytime a family was in crisis or emergency, they turned to mom and she always had a bunch of kids over at the house. And at the very same time, my dad was a pastor who was incredibly overloaded with his ministry. He had an unbelievably demanding schedule. He was gone all day, every day. He had responsibilities with the church that meant that Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday were at least 12-hour days. There were committee meetings, there were counseling sessions, there were other things the other nights of the week. He was just a very in-demand guy, and mom and dad were both under a lot of stress. But this week, I I realized I I cannot recall my mom on the phone or in person talking bad about people or problems. I I never recall mom gossiping or even complaining. And it may be because she was very good at whispering, but I think it was more than that. I don't remember one time in my childhood when my mom spoke negatively about my dad, the people of our church family, our neighbors, life in general, nobody else around us. I don't remember a single word like that. Now here's the deal. I know that my mom isn't perfect. It took me about two decades of life to figure that out. She was so close in my mind as a child, but she's broken in many ways and knows it. But there's this image of my mom that is indelible in my mind. And I I cannot articulate the impact that it had in my life. There's this there's a picture And it's a composite sketch of the various times in my childhood from when I was a little boy in the city of Sandusky living there on the shore of Lake Erie to when I was a teenager and we were just outside of Middletown and lived in that house. It's not just one moment. It's many, many moments that emerged in my mind from my childhood. I remember it clearly. I would be looking for mom for some reason. And I'm pretty sure as a boy, it was either because uh, I needed food or because I'd run out of clean clothes and needed mom because I didn't know what to do next. Anyhow, I'd be looking for mom in our house. I'd go upstairs and I'd go to her and dad's bedroom and I would find her there on her knees by her bed in prayer. And my mom didn't have a smartphone because smartphones didn't exist back then. And I can, I can tell you that as a 70 year old woman, she's pretty good at texting, although she gets all the words wrong and doesn't get the abbreviations, but she's pretty good for 70. But I can only tell you this. I don't know what she would have done if she had smartphones. I can only tell you what she did in the times that I was a boy. She prayed over and over and over again. I walked into a room and I saw my mom on her knees. In prayer, I don't think she knew I was coming. I think it's just what she did. As a matter of fact, my mom has described her approach to parenting like this. Titus, they need lots of spankings when they're little, lots of food and love when they're teens, and a whole lot of prayer the whole way through. So mom, I want to just encourage you on this. As a son who cannot articulate the impact it had on my life to have a mom I knew was in prayer, what would it look like for you to realize you have a loving God who hears you? A God who can do everything that you can't. A father who wants his daughter to come to him in prayer and bear her soul and call on his name and ask for his help and his power. Why on earth would you bypass prayer? Why on earth would you choose Facebook over God? And so I want to encourage moms this week whatever it might look like in your life, would you take your burdens to God in prayer? In these moments when you feel overwhelmed, before you text a friend, and you may need to text a friend. Before you call someone else, you may need to call someone else. Before you post on Facebook for the world to see, I don't know that anyone ever needs to do that, but before you do any of those things, would you consider coming to God in prayer? Amen. Would you be a mother? who is marked by talking to God and telling Him how you feel, confessing your brokenness and need, claiming the promises of His Word, asking Him for faith and mercy and power and renewal of your confidence in Him. Godly mothers take their burdens to the Lord in prayer. Here's the last thing we see from this passage. It's found in chapter 2, verse 1. A godly mother rejoices that God provides salvation. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, and Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Guys, this is the point of the story of Hannah. This is the primary mark of a godly woman. You guys need to know that one of the hardest things as a pastor about preaching on Mother's Day is knowing that this is a day of incredible pain for so many people in this room. Some people in this room grieve because this is your first Mother's Day without your mom around the table. She's gone to be with Jesus and her absence today makes the day very difficult. Some of you grieve because your mother is the person in this world who's caused you the most pain and hurt and harm. And the pain your mother brought to your life is intensified tenfold on this day. Some people in this room room grieve because you've never been able to have a child. And today is a reminder of what your life has never been and may never actually be. Some people grieve because you hear about being a godly mother and you listen to a guy like me talk, talk about a woman like Hannah and you have a heart that's filled with guilt and shame because maybe your child has gone astray and a day like Mother's Day feels like the highlight of all your failures. You come to this room and it's a wave of guilt. And I want to say to every single one of you, whatever it may look like in your life today, the culmination of this story of a godly woman is the truth that God is full of grace and mercy and He saves people who need to be rescued and He He saves them every way they need to be saved ultimately a godly mother is a woman who's broken and knows it not perfect and tries to show everyone even more she knows that she can't fix herself and she turns to jesus you need to know that hannah was saved because god is gracious not because she was good Hannah was saved in several ways. Let me just share a couple with you. Hannah was saved from the shame that her culture associated with being unable to have children. And this story then for us is a reminder that God provides a way for us to be saved from our guilt and shame ultimately what we see is that when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says God took our guilt and shame and placed it on Jesus so He would take it from us and we'd bear it no more. So whether you live with the misplaced shame of a culture that has fed you lies about what you're supposed to be and do as a perfect mom, or whether it is that you live with a well-placed shame of owning the sin you've committed in your life, Jesus Jesus died to take all your shame away. So trust in Jesus today. Trust in Jesus to rescue you from shame. Hannah was saved from the pain and the ridicule inflicted on her by someone else. So this story is a reminder that God provides a way for people to be healed from the pain that other people have caused by their own sin. Jesus came to restore every part of us that's broken as the result of someone else's sin against you. So listen, whether it's your longing for acceptance or your desire to be loved that never was fulfilled in an earthly mother. Jesus stands ready to be the fulfillment of everything your earthly relationships have lacked. So trust in Jesus. He is ready to rescue you from the pain of broken relationships. Hannah was saved from the pain of a life that was really broken dreams. Listen, even though her story ultimately ended with her having children, you have to acknowledge this is not the stereotypical dream of raising a son. Not many years after he was born, Samuel was given back to God and he lived at the temple. He was primarily raised by an old man named Eli, And Samuel did go on to be one of the greatest prophets and priests in the history of Israel. He's the original kingmaker in the Bible. But God saved Hannah. And when he did so, he saved her from the darkness of her own broken dreams by giving her a life she never could have dreamed for herself. And Jesus offers to do the same thing for you today. Jesus makes us more than we could ever dream. Children of God, heirs of heaven, He takes our broken dreams and He makes them more than we could ever dream. So friend, when you trust in Jesus as your Savior, Romans 8 says He makes everything in your life work together for good. That you are loved and nothing will separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ. That you become more than a conqueror through Him who loves you. That nothing will ever be able to touch you or hold a candle to the good work of Jesus Christ in you and one day you will actually be revealed as a son and daughter of God and all of heaven will rejoice in what Jesus does through your life so friend trust in Jesus today he will take your broken dreams and he will make them more than you can ever dream and ultimately Hannah was saved from her own inability as a mother guys there were just things she could not do on her own And many of you feel that constantly in your relationships. Whether it's your marriage or your parenting, your life is a constant reminder of what you can't do in your own power. And you would come and hear this message about being a godly mother and you would look at these examples from the Bible and for you, it would be a wave of guilt and shame. And I want you to know the very worst thing you would ever do in response to a sermon like this is to roll up your sleeves and do your very best to be a godly mother. That's why God gave us Jesus. You need not only His power to forgive, you need His resurrection power to live the life you can't live on your own. So trust in Jesus. He will give you the power to live the life God's called you to live. Godly mothers rejoice not because you're good, but because God is gracious. And He takes broken people and their shame and their broken dreams And their painful relationships and pasts and memories and their own inability. And Jesus saves them and makes them more than they could ever be in their own power. So trust in Jesus. So church, today we glorify God by celebrating godly mothers because ultimately we know this, godly mothers are only godly because Jesus has given them the power to be and do what God has called them called them to be and do. So we glorify Jesus as we celebrate mom. And Before we go out in the rest of our day, I just want us to have a time of prayer reflecting over this passage. So would you bow your heads? And let's enter into a time of prayer before the father. And some of you first may have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. And you know you're broken. You know that your life has been marked by sin. And you can't fix yourself. Would you, would you call on Jesus to save you? The story of the Bible isn't the story of how you can make yourself better. It's the story of how God will graciously save you in every way you need to be saved. So would you call on Jesus? Confess your sin. Acknowledge that you can't make yourself right. Acknowledge that Jesus lived the perfect life you cannot live. He died the death you should have died and He rose again so that He not only would provide for forgiveness, but for a life that pleases God the Father. Would you call on Jesus to save you? And Mom, would you pray that God would stir your heart to trust in Jesus as you take steps of faith and obedience to be marked by joy, rejoicing that God would save you. That you'd be marked by prayer as you take your burdens to the Lord and you keep coming back over and over again. As you understand that your husband won't complete you, so you look to Jesus to be for you what no one else on earth could be. And as you're the kind of person who understands that God is in control and you roll the burdens of your life onto Him. And men in this room, would you pray that God would encourage you to celebrate the women in your life who are living this out? That this day would be marked by you encouraging and caring for the moms in your life they would turn to Jesus and look to Him, not their own strength. Father, we thank You. We thank You for the way that You've worked in our lives. For those of us who have godly moms, I think of my own mom, Lord. I think of Emily as the mother of our kids. I bless Your name. Thank You for Your kindness. Thank You for Your mercy and grace. And Lord, I pray that as we celebrate the work of godly moms, that we would be careful to turn our eyes to Jesus because all glory is for His grace. And Lord, I pray for those in this room whose hearts are filled with pain today, that they would look to Christ to save them and rescue them. I pray the mothers in this room would not try to live up in their own strength to some perfect expectation, but that they would know that godliness in and of itself is a looking to Jesus, a turning to Jesus, a trusting in Jesus to be for them. Well, they can't be for themselves. God, be exalted in our hearts on this Mother's Day. Be glorified in our lives as we respond to Your Word. We love You. We bless You. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.